Shut up, I love it. About 20 years ago, I was part of a podcast. Some people called it the worst podcast ever made. It's called Shut Up, Shut I, up love I Love it. it. Oh, that was good. I'm Joe Cabello, and I'm always good. And when I'm not good, I'm great. And I'm Sasha Feiler. This is Shut Up, I Love It, the podcast when we speak in unison the whole time. <laughs> and I was just speaking in unison, but my mic muted. That was the thing. I was speaking perfectly in unison with you, but they might not have heard it because I accidentally muted my mic. Oh, is that what happened? Anyway, yeah. what is yeah. this podcast? It's a podcast when we invite a special guest to talk about something underrated, hated, forgotten, misunderstood, um, Something despised. that's even the worst? Something even perhaps. the worst or the best or the worst. We'll find out what this is. Joe, who do we have in the studio today? You know, I don't. I have no idea who this person is. Never met him before in my life, but I know they're an actor, director, improviser, and board-certified music therapist. This is Spencer Frankieberger. Frankieberger. And now we were just talking about your name too, and then I, it, it shook me up. What's up, Spencer? What up? I was gonna say common, common mispronunciation. Uh, however, you just said it. I don't even care to repeat it. You know what? They can play it back on yeah. their audio if they want to get them more go, wrong. Yeah, go perfect. to other episodes and we'll, <laughs> at some point we said it right. So check them out. Um, Spencer, this is your what, fourth visit of Shut Up, I Love It? Yeah, probably. I think it is. Yeah. yeah. And this one is important because we, we almost have to have this one and people who have listened to your previous episodes might have been wondering hey, when is he going to come back and talk about what he's going to talk about? There's an arc to it. So what is this yeah. arc, Spencer? Where are we now? Good Burger we... 2. No. <laughs> yeah, so it's interesting because I feel like, honestly, the episodes that I've done leading into it, every movie that we've done has casually gotten worse critic ratings. <laughs> uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, that was that was an arc there. But we're gonna. I think we're going to take it back up a little bit into one of the worst reviewed movies of all times companion piece that actually was the best reviewed of all of the movies that I've done so far on this podcast. Which maybe is not to say a lot, but it's a famously <laughs> sure. successful yeah. documentary anyway. What is this? Sure. Uh, so today we're doing a best worst movie, the documentary based on the classic cult movie, uh, Troll 2. Yeah, go three episodes back and uh, listen to that episode and then come back. And three, two, one, Let's welcome jam. back. Yeah, so we won't <laughs> give too much of a preamble of what Troll 2 is. You should go listen to the other episode. Um, other than to say it is known as one of the worst movies ever made and has a cult following. So this is the uh, the documentary about it. Yeah, and it's actually funny that you, you describe th that of like, uh, we don't really want to get into what it's about because in Best Worst Movie, there's a moment where literally one of the characters she's talking... Characters, I say characters as if they're like in this movie. <laughs> well, they um, feel but, like it. <laughs> yeah, they do feel like characters. <laughs> but, um, but the person who's being interviewed, she literally says, you know, I tell people to watch Troll 2 and when they ask me what the movie's about... I'm just like, well, the like, I, I'm like, well, it's really kind of to experience it. It doesn't really, she's like, so this is what it's about. And she's like, see, the plot doesn't sound compelling. It's an experience that is what is worth it. And so it almost feels like that's kind of where this movie lies in too, because it has a lot of its, it's weird because this documentary is almost entirely meta for the fact that this movie tried to be, the, the movie itself, Troll 2, tried to be so not meta. <laughs> <laughs> that mm -hmm. the juxtaposition of the two is I, what I find very, very fascinating. Um, but how, um, and we can talk about this as we go on, how in this movie some of the actors have kind of just like accepted the fate of this movie mm -hmm. uh, and some of the crew, whereas some of the crew and some of the actors are still living in the world of like, it's so misunderstood that people need to reevaluate it and enjoy it for the pieces that are specifically the director. Oh, yeah. Um, who, he's the villain. He's the villain. <laughs> it's so funny because when I was watching it, he literally, when they're in the theater, so they're all the, they're all in the theater watching the movie. They're laughing at everything. Um, and he's like, they're laughing at the, they're not laughing at the funny parts, but laughing at the parts that are supposed to be serious. 
and like truly this is this is wrong like americans don't know how to they don't understand the culture of the movie and da, da, da. and like he's really going off on like why we as an audience don't understand the the intensity and and the and like how like dramatic this movie is and he's just not willing to give it up <laughs> Yeah, and mm-hmm. to the point where there's uh, like two key moments where he's kind of keyed into or learning that people aren't respecting his movie. There's, uh, I think, that part you're talking about mm-hmm. where he's like first invited to one of the screenings and he's really Im- uh, happy and impressed that so many people are there to see his movie. And then to In find. In Silver Lake, right? Uh, In Silver Lake, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, yeah. It's UCB, mm-hmm. is it? No, maybe not. Yeah, I don't know. I, yeah they, had the, they had the UCB screening. Sure, in um, New York. But I don't think that that I don't think he was at that one. I think he was at the other one. Uh, there were a lot of LA screenings in the movie. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of hard to tell. But like his first experience seeing the audience and how they were talking about the movie, and then you can kind of see that he starts to realize that to where he goes to another screening and QA Q and A for it, and that's when he starts interjecting himself into the Q and A. I also and I, I love that. <laughs> Very uncomfortable, very quickly. (laughs) The question, the audience member literally asked the question that we're all wondering. He's like, why do you call it Troll 2 if there's no trolls in the movie? And his response is, of course there's trolls in the movie. And like his wife or whoever is like the publicist. Yeah, who's the screenwriter of this like, She's like, but we called them goblins. We didn't call them trolls. And then his response to the audience member was, I don't know what you're talking about. You're 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 like, you're wrong. Yeah, he like calls (laughs) him an idiot or something. And what's interesting about that question is that's the least damning question to him. Oh, 100%. It's not pointing the finger to him. That's really as simple as like, oh, they changed the name of the movie. It was supposed to be about goblins, but at that point, I think he's so on his heels of the defensive that he's just like pissed off at any question. And I do, I do think it is like that specifically his interactions with the crowd and whatnot. I do think it goes to show there's people could be a little bit more gentle about like this is such a bad movie. Like I don't think they necessarily realize how much like that isn't seen as a compliment. Like even though we love it cause it's bad, mm-hmm. isn't a compliment to creators. Like I would mm-hmm. never want somebody being like, Joe, your comic book bottoms up. I love it. It's so bad. That's what I love about it. I'd be like, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that you love it actually does not any longer matter to me because right. you're saying that I would rather you just say you love it. And I think we got that into that a little bit with troll too. When we were talking about it is like, okay if you loved it it's a great movie like you don't need to justify why you loved it by being like well it's bad it's bad but i love it it's like no just by you loving it that much it must be a great movie and and it is a lot of like i i noticed like as i rewatched the the documentary that it is a lot of like kind of what we had been talking about where it's an experience versus a movie because like each person's like you know i watched this and i asked my friends like hey let's watch this movie like, I was so excited to go watch it again for the experience, as what a lot of the people getting interviewed in the movie were saying, is they never were like, this is a great movie. They were all like, this movie sucks. But the experience of the movie and watching it with people is what makes me want to come back and introduce this movie to others. And that's, I think, where, like, this mentality of it turning into a cult classic and, like, living it for what it is, like... George Hardy, I think, is the number one, like, to completely, fully accepted. This is the dad from the movie, who, by the way, is a dentist in real life. Um, and Seems like a sweet guy. Love Charming him. human being. Charming. He, I, I also wrote that he's, like, super immature in this whole weird way because, like, he just really is, like, the goofball. And I even wrote, like, if his ex-wife likes him because Mary Hardy, his ex-wife, is, like, I mean, even if I like him, that's saying something because he's, like, a really nice guy. But what I loved about him is that he doesn't take himself seriously. So when this movie, he was like, you know, whatever, I did this one thing for acting. I'm really a dentist. I'm not actually an actor. And then he goes to all these cons where you see people like signing all these headshots for like this cult movie. He's like, I can't believe that something like these people keep thinking about 20 years in the future. Like that's what this has come to be. Is that he's like, he's like embracing it to the 
fullest. Well, it and, takes like, him that's a long what I love time. About it. It yeah, does. It, it takes does. him a long time to arrive to the place where he actually has sort of a crisis that mm-hmm. is, you know, is well put towards the end of the documentary. And uh, yeah, because for a while he just kind of almost laughs everything off and like mm-hmm. enjoys the ride. And then suddenly he's like, sees like, is like looking in the mirror for himself, looking at other people who starred in some sequel to some horror film 20 years ago. And he recognizes himself in that. And he actually kind of turns dark for a second. Yeah, that was the, that was genuinely creepy because you do see him at the start. He is like, Hey, I was in this movie 20 years ago. I get a kick out of like that. It's stupid and whatnot. But through the course of the documentary, he gets lost in the sauce. You see him start to bite a little bit. He sees the crowds. He sees the real love for it, and he gets to experience it. You know, it's no longer just someone on the street saying, like, hey, I saw you in a movie. It's like, I'm at a theater with a line of people. I'm getting applauded. And you could see he starts to get kind of a type of ego about it or something. But then, yeah, once he's at that convention and he sees the others... He takes that dark turn where he's like, I can't believe these people. And yet he's describing himself exactly. And he's aware yeah. of that, but it's like still doesn't stop him from being dark about it and almost like hateful. Yeah. And it's always like, and then you start thinking like, I, I mean, I start thinking like, okay, is it like he is the reason he is so happy because he's carrying this darkness inside him that's always been there since he made this film, you know? Um, and then it's like finally it's well, yeah, the, and it's seeping through the cracks. And you could see how where does that darkness comes from? It mm-hmm. comes from a sense of ego. Like once we start living in this direction where we're serving our ego and like thinking we're important and all this, then it opens up the gateway to darkness. Versus here, before he's a dentist, he's just a servant. He's happy to help people, and he has no ego even about that. He's just doing it. But then, yeah, once you're like, hey, dude, you're an important person and you're part of something important, he starts to go a little bit nasty. And also, yeah. there's prior to that, there's like a, a reveal where they're saying, oh, actually, I think his ex-wife says, right, like Spencer, it's, it, she says uh, he wanted to be a movie star this mm-hmm. whole time. And I was like, well, like that never came up before, right? Like, yeah, it, it really feels like he still wants to be a dentist. Like, for me, it doesn't feel like he... One and this is so. This is where one thing that I find like uh, like almost devastating in a way is it doesn't feel like he truly was like I want to be an actor. He was like I think it, he was actually and I also have this whole like uh, Church of Latter Day Saints conspiracy theory going on here um, mm-hmm. as I watch the movie because I did some research. The guy who plays Elliot and the woman, uh, the girl who plays a sister, are both LDS. Uh, and George was practicing dentistry in Salt Lake City when he auditioned for Troll Two. So like, there's this whole like thing but i think really george was like this would be a cool thing to do i'm a dentist but i could also like act in a movie how cool is that whereas what ultimately breaks my heart so hard in this movie as a creative is this the daughter or the sister and the the mom in that movie seeing them going i can't get work mm-hmm. this is what i want to do in my career even like the 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 one who plays the daughter what was kelly yeah, anyways the the daughter um she literally says at one point, I erased this movie from my resume. I don't put it on there. I know how bad it is. And somehow everyone always knows it's me. And as soon as I get into, and yeah. she goes, as soon as I get into the room and audition and they mention Troll 2, I know I've lost that job. And it's so heartbreaking to know that like this thing that she's been trying to just like bury, in fact, becomes more of a prominent forefront. And that's caused her from getting all this work. And then the lady, Connie, I think her name is Connie, who... Um, plays the mom she doesn't even go to the screening she like doesn't want to be seen like she she did a little bit of the interview but she's like i don't have an agent i kind of just put this whole acting thing on the back burner for now just to kind of figure out things and get my life going but it feels like with like this george hardy being like this goofball comic who kind of eventually embraces like what this cult classic is the other and like even like uh what's his name jason uh, Michael Stevenson, JMS, um, Jason Jacob, um, the guy who did the dro- documentary. Michael Paul he, Stevenson. Michael Paul Stevenson. <laughs> there's a Michael, there's a Stevenson in there. MPS. Um, he has like found, uh, the, he's like embraced this idea of cinematography and directing. He's done a lot of uh, very popular documentaries that have like won awards and have gone through festivals. So he's kind of found his own little like niche in that regard. 
Um, but these two women, unfortunately, have just kind of like their lives have just been kind of ruined from this movie. And so it's so fascinating to see that as well, how there's this big juxtaposition between how people are embracing this movie and how the way we embrace it as an audience is different than how the industry embraces it. Because we think of it as this movie that's like so like bonkers and wild and like an experience to watch. And like, it's so fun to laugh at, but like we, we feel for these actors, but like in the industry world, they're like, this movie's bad. You're not going to work. This is, this is awful. And like, even like the reviews of like, you're the worst actress who's ever seen all this stuff. Like they have to live with that regardless of how they're feeling about that in the long term. And it just, it's just, it just breaks my heart so much with these two women who like really wanted to do this for a career did this movie that they thought was going to be like a solid, like, because there are some great horror movies that do very well or whatever. And they thought it was going to be a fun little movie, a cool feature to be on the big screen. And it just completely ruined their careers. Yeah. And, and you just, you go in and you, you do the job because you don't know. And you just have to take what's ever in front of you. And uh, it's, it's almost, there's every single Hollywood actor story in this movie, you know, every possible mm-hmm. outcome that makes it really I don't know if I would say actors should stay away from this movie or that they should see it you know like it's probably not going to help you as an actor to see this movie because you need a bit of a uh, uh, blindness to the foils of being an actor and this one tells you this is your future this like one of these six people could be your future or mm-hmm. maybe your Angelina Jolie but she's not in this movie, you know? So it's, it really was a, a bummer. I'm, I'm not an actor, so. Yeah, Spencer, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, it's, 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 it's hard because you want to, when you book stuff, you're like, I want to, I want to do it. I want to book stuff because this script, I guarantee, I guarantee you from the start, this script probably had really great elements of horror comedy. And like, it seemed like a fun script. When you get on set, you, it's produced the way it was, directed the way it was, written the way it was after everything came out to make it into this Troll 2 element, it changed. And so you just never really know until the exhibition of what it is, how it's going to play to a crowd. And so I think that these actors going in, you know, some of them were actors. They booked this feature that was going to be this big feature. It's going to be cool. It's a great, like, horror movie that would be a fun way to, like, start out and, like, really dive into the industry thinking, okay, this is going to be great, but then getting the... I, I think... A, I really think a lot of it falls on the direction of this movie because I'm sure these actors, some of them were like, I don't know why I'm, like, being so dramatic and, like, melodramatic in this. Like, it makes no sense, but the director was probably like, no, 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 this is how the, like, style of the movie is. And mm. so it's it's very hard to be like, no, 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 I disagree with the director. I think I want to play this, like, straight and, like, very... Because the movie ultimately is cheesy and melodramatic and awkward and weird and it's hard when you book something to go i'm gonna do it the way that i feel like it should be done because then if i was the only like let's say i was in this movie if i was the only one playing it straight not melodramatic not anything like that i'm gonna look even weirder because i'm not going so over the top i'm not really committing Mm -hmm. to the melodrama of it all but it's just it's like this balance like everyone and but it's like then also i don't think seem, it really works i and i don't think um he's the type of director where you can do it your way either correct and uh, i think even the the actress who plays the daughter connie young i think is her name from the thing she's the connie the the she's connie right the okay, mother great. is someone else but i think she even says she knows she was bad in it like so it's just oh i'm not doing it the way I want but here we are no one's gonna go back and retake anything for me but I'm just I'm not doing a good job so you're just trudging forward because you have no choice you don't get to cut all the shots so yeah I think the director was was its biggest hindrance and its biggest grace because I do think the movie is shot and composed really well and if it wasn't then it wouldn't be the hit that it is. I don't think, I think it has a lot of elements to it that are amazing. I also think, uh, and this is where I realized it in best worst movie. I think, I think it was Elliot. Um, the guy who plays Elliot, who is basically getting turned into a tree. 
yeah. <laughs> or like the yeah. plant. And like the whole scene where the director's like, he kept saying he was tired from standing for hours. Like, how can 14, he be tired 14 from... 14 hours. Yeah, he was standing for 14 hours. And the director's like, it's not that hard to stand. Right? He's saying his legs were getting tired and all this. So we just put the, the mouthpiece into his mouth so he wouldn't complain anymore. And it made me go... But you're having him stand without a break, like, in wardrobe and makeup for 14 hours. Like, mm -hmm. th there's some merit in, like, giving him a break or, like, hearing out what he has to say instead of literally just muffling him. Oh, yeah. Which is why I take it back to the idea that I think it wasn't... I think I think 99.9% .9 of the issues on the performance was on the director and not on the actors themselves at all. I think also mm -hmm. knowing this group of actors, you know, it was... Um, Michael, Michael, John, Michael Paul, Michael Paul, <laughs> Michael Paul Stevenson, um, who he's like, this is my first feature. I didn't get to see it until it was on videotape for that Christmas. I popped it in and wow, was it bad. And like as a 10 year old, <laughs> he thought it was bad. And so I think like what I find fascinating is these actors were all so green, <laughs> no pun intended, to the, to the industry that they didn't really know one how to stand up for themselves as performers, but two, they weren't, they didn't really know like that this was like gonna be the POS that it is. Mm -hmm. Um, which really can we say it's a POS if, if, if it really is such a glorious, glorious movie? Zero percent on Rotten Tomatoes considered one of the worst movies of all time. Like it really has merit to it in its own way. Um, but I think it's, it's interesting because like when you think of a cult movie, there are cult movies like, say, like Rocky Horror Picture Show or um, uh, like Dark Crystal, Labyrinth, things like that that got very good reviews and have a, a solid following. So there's there's these movies that have cult status, um, even Good Burger. Uh, the reviews right. weren't like great for Good Burger, but people embraced it not as like an experience and a bad movie, but as like a movie that they enjoy. It just didn't do well when it had its run in the box office. Troll 2 is in the cult status of the so bad it's good. And so I think it's hard as a, as a performer to go, wow, this movie is what I'm known for. It's so cool that people recognize me and love me for my work when it's this movie that people are like really hating on for how bad it is. They just love the experience of laughing at the performers. And for the performers to go, mm. like, I, I could see that from that perspective. Like, sure, it's cool to be in a cult classic, but it's, it's, it's uncomfortable in a way and like weird to be like, this is what I'm being embraced for, is how bad I am in a movie that's literally laughably bad, and you want me to embrace this? Yeah, it does it's nothing such a for you. Yeah, yeah it's, it's such a it's different type thing. of cult movie. And so yeah. that was like what I... It, 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 also was, it was also interesting because it makes me think of... Um, it wasn't George's sister, but it was... They didn't always put the person's name, so I didn't know who it was half the time, but the person who was next to... Who, who talked right after George's sister was like, oh yeah, I watched George in the movie. His accent, his acting, it was the strangest thing to watch. And then someone else said, uh, it's just so funny, there's no way to hate this movie. And so it's like, no one's ever saying like, I really enjoy this movie. They're all like, it's so weird, it's so wacky, it's so funny, it's so bad, but I can't look away. And so this mentality of, I feel like if one person... Like, one person who's seen this movie went up to, like, this cast, especially, like, the, the mom or the daughter, and was like, you did a great job in this movie. Like, genuinely, like, really felt it. I think that it might help a little bit in their world of, like, living in this cult classic. But because not a single person is sitting here going, this movie's great, the performances are great, this should have won Oscars, it, it's, it's a travesty, it's, 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 it's depressed, it's, ah, uh, like, because of that... It doesn't have that same energy, and I think that that's like like the positive comments are all because of how bad it is. There's no actual positive elements of like, if that makes sense. Like, there's no positive elements of like this movie being a good movie for any reason whatsoever. It's just a a phenomenon that we love for all the wrong reasons, and so I think that that's what's unfortunate about this for like the people who really wanted to have this as a career. But what also is interesting to think about in, in a whole, like, as a millennial getting into that, like, nostalgia realm, like, what is so fascinating about it is that, like, for some reason, like, came out in the 90s, so, like, 30, 32 years later, 
people are still embracing this movie. They're embracing it in a whole different way. We're talking about it on a but podcast. We're still talking about it. Yeah. And so we're, we're... It's, <laughs> it's like it's like the handprints on Grauman's Chinese theater. Is it like literally is like imprinted into our society as like a historically, aesthetically, culturally relevant movie for one way or another, even if it is a piece of garbage. <laughs> yeah, it really it's like the themes of even the movie Nope are mm-hmm. are there with the Jordan Peele's Nope are there with this because essentially we're like heralding this movie and being like, oh yeah, we're we're consuming this, we're loving this. But you know, the fact that these actors are living, you may be in squalor or hell or uh, a lot of regret. Well, who cares? And we don't want to help them in any way, but we want to, we want to take your thing and we want to ring it out. Um, It's, it is weird because it reminds me even creatively of projects you make, whether they're little things, videos, movies. And it's that same feeling when someone's like, Oh, I love that one thing you did. And it's the thing you care least about that you made or maybe dislike the most that you made. And you're like, okay, cool. Can't you compliment and like the thing that I'm proud of? So I can't imagine how this feels. And there's other movies like this where the people ask the director, hey, how do you feel that your movie's a cult classic now? And they say, well, it doesn't help me at all. Like... I couldn't make movies after that. It bombed. It put me in director jail. Cool that they have screenings. I'm not seeing any money from that. I'm not mm. getting gigs. And so, like, we as the audience just take and feast on these creators and don't really give a shit what happened but, um, to them. Yeah, because once you make something, right, it really it really has a life of its own. Of its mm-hmm. own. And I think that's, like, a, a theme as well is what we're seeing. And you really don't know as a creator which thing is going to break through. And sometimes it's not the thing you want, obviously, like you said, Joe. Or it's just not the thing you expected it to be. Like the thing people recognize me mostly for is Yuri's Human Cat Circus, just like for me, like in our community. And it's always like, I love doing it. I don't find it to be my calling card. But a lot of people think of it that way. So yeah, they the- should... They- They'll give yeah. you jobs based on that. They'll be like, hey, yeah. we want you to do this and thing. I'll be like, yeah. I had no idea this was the most spontaneous, like a one-off event that then turned into a decade of continuous shows and recognition. So it is it is weird that that happens. Um, yeah. And especially like when it's on film, right? Like when it's on film, it's forever. Mm-hmm. It's It's out there and... I mean, it's such an obvious thing, but we've seen how like it plays out in people's lives and how it affects them. And I think even going off of that, like circling into this whole conversation, I think two things maybe that sparked for me here. One is that like this whole idea of like, you know, this lives forever. And it like makes me think of the actors again. We're like, you know, when we're talking about like, we don't have like, we don't really have any empathy for them because like we love living in their misery. But it really is a moment of like, I or it's like, well, they, they picked that. That's kind of on them for picking that crappy movie to do. But I don't think, again, I don't think they intentionally were like, this is going to be so bad. Exactly, I want to be yeah. part of this like bad history. They, they booked something and they wanted to do it and they thought it was going to be fun. And so we don't know the outcome until... I mean, there are movies that like you think are going to get nominated for Oscars and then they tank and they do really bad. Like You just don't know what people think. The critics, the audience, what they think until it actually is released. And then you find out it didn't work out in the way you wanted it to. But it also makes you think of Claudio Forgasso, the director, um, which I think he's probably like pretty much like retired at this point. But like he did a lot of Italian filmmaking, did this one English movie, and then went back to Italian filmmaking. So it's not like he like lost a career because of this English language movie. Although he says he made 25 English language movies. Yeah, I mean... I mean, he did uh, because he also produced and like had a wife mm. who produced Troll too. So they were uh. able to kind of crank those like really silly. I looked up some of the filmography. It's a lot of like those cheesy, silly like horror kind of movies. Yeah, can I give one? Twenty twenty two, directed by Claudio Fragasso. It's titled Karate Man. Ooh. And uh, let me give you the the synopsis or the logline from IMDb. <laughs> I'll try Please. my best. A martial arts champion with a first-degree diabetes mellitus was passionate to fighting. 
The losing of the title during the Karate World Championship made him collapse to the ground at the end of the match to diabetic coma. This is from IMDb. A lot of food-related uh, A martial arts champion themes. with first-degree mm -hmm. diabetes mellitus was passionate to fighting. Yeah, that's um, yeah. So that's a thing. Um, but again, he was making a lot. He still directed tons of movies after Troll Two, whether they were English or not. So his career necess wasn't necessarily like halted because, sure, like the directing is bad. But what you see on screen, you're seeing the performances, you're seeing the cinematography. So you think of who did the camera work, who did who who's performing in the movie. So even if the director did such a bad job with directing the actors, what you see is the actors' terrible performances. And so that's what you think of as like, oh, you don't think of, oh, it must have been the director that gave these terrible performances, uh, notes for these actors. You're literally saying, wow, these actors are so bad. And so mm -hmm. I think that like, when that behind the camera work kind of rolls around, scriptwriter, oh, this was such a bad script, but like you can easily write a script and make it really great. And so it's really interesting how we have this like, this weird world of like this double-edged sword of like seeing a performance on screen that's so bad that like that's what you get versus um, say someone who in theory is behind the camera that all they need is like a script that works and then you forget about um, all of their bad work because you don't see all the bad work. You just right. kind of feel that one moment. But when it comes to acting, it's completely different that what well, we acting, see, we're like, yeah. oh, they're so bad. I don't want to see another movie there and they're so bad mm -hmm. because you see it. You don't yeah. necessarily feel yeah, it. Yeah, no, acting is the sketchiest thing about acting, right? That it's a judgment on you, it feels like, right? Mm -hmm. It's not just the judgment on your uh, mastery or lack of uh, thereof. It's a judgment on like the very essence of you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and not having that good direction can make you a bad actor or, you know, even being told, having a, a bad conception of, like, what shot is being used and things of that nature. I even remember being in some shorts just uh, in college. You Shorts? You used to wear shorts? <laughs> my wife would laugh because I wear shorts too much. So that's kind of my <laughs> I wear thing. shorts all the time. I, like, wore shorts this morning. It's, like, 50-degree weather. I wore shorts. Love them. But I was oh. playing a drummer. And uh, mm. I was going really ham on the drums uh, during the, the scenes because I wanted it to look good. And I remember at one shot, I'm like, hey, am I in this shot? Because uh, if not, then like I won't go as crazy. It looks like I'm not. And he's like, you're not in this shot at all. And then, of course, the short comes out. And then they cut to a shot where I'm doing the the saddest looking drum drumming. It's like the worst mm. drumming I did the whole short and i'm like oh fuck mm -hmm. off like in some ways that's yeah. my fault right i mm -hmm. should have just gone all out all the time but getting confirmation no you're not in the shot and then you are it's like okay so these things can happen to make you look bad as well mm -hmm. and people say acting is easy when really when really in theory you get your notes from your director you get your notes from the cinematographer a lot of times i have the dp who will say um hey uh for light we set this to light can you just kind of not like do this or whatever and then the director's like we'll do this and you're like well i'm getting contradictory responses and then it's like i have to make that decision on my own even though i'm getting these notes i got to take these notes but also know what's best for me as an actor while also thinking of emotionally performing and like getting lines out on camera as well it's not just what a lot of people think acting is it's just like saying words and yeah. like looking pretty but there's a lot to it. There's a lot of that 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 left brain that you have to also utilize every take you're doing something for that right brain because you have to know, like and if you don't know like a line then it's like then it becomes your fault that you're holding up production when in reality there's all these other moments and elements that are holding up production but you don't ever see that on screen. All you see is maybe that frustration of having to do a scene over and over because the performance is what you see on screen. You don't necessarily see all of the like Claudio Fargasso maybe from this documentary we kind of see what kind of a director he was maybe not the most like actor friendly director yeah i don't think so. um not the no, most willing he's to, like, like these actors vibe. he's like yeah. oh these actors you know there's certain that, like he despises actors mm -hmm. i think maybe and uh, um, yeah probably american uh, arrogance even though it's really not in this case fear and scare he's he's just afraid and embarrassed i think but 
Can I just also like maybe switch gears just for a hot second yeah. and talk about the UCB um, angle of this <laughs> movie? I forgot how UCB heavy this movie is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Curtis Gwynn and John Gamberling. Um, yeah. Um, there's something to be said about, on one hand, these people, um, you know, I don't know how beloved Curtis Gwynn is, but John Gamberling certainly is by many. Uh, they bring uh, out this, you know, they make sort of this movie famous in a way, right? Through their passion for bad movies. But in some way, there's no compassion, right? In, like in that culture. Like in the culture mm. of 15 years ago, however long, uh, very white male very particular type of person UCB culture like that's the mm -hmm. only like it's like John Geberling's Curtis Gwynn's all over the place like when you watch that footage like yeah. that UCB doesn't look like today's UCB at all right and, uh, and 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 you see like and I remember you know how funny these people are that generation of UCBers but also like how sort of there's like lack of compassion and and in some way like they put on the pedestal these actors right in this movie but in the way that's, it's sort of like you put like a animal behind in the, in the cage, right? Like or like a circus freak. Yeah, like, like look at this guy. Can yes. you believe it? So I, I'm not saying that they're wrong in doing that because that is kind of how they do funny, right? Like that's their style of comedy. And who am I to you know say bad things about John Gamberling? I really I'm I hope I I don't sound like I am, but I'm just saying like the type of comedy it is, is that like, it's it starts off this like machine of fandom for this movie and the people involved in it. But you know, it's done for people who are only going to make fun of them. Well, I think it's, yeah, it's that yeah. level of they, John Gemberling, not to point him out, but just as a stand in for that person is like, Oh, this movie sucks. And it's so terrible. It is uh, fun to watch. And that must be how everybody sees the movie, even the mm -hmm. actors, director, this. But that's not true. The actors, like Spencer was talking about, it, they have this other history to it. They have these other feelings that come up from it. And the director obviously does. So to like assume that, oh, no, we all see it this way, right? It's like, no, I see this as the thing that has got me to ha be a, a harder time being an actor. Or I see this as something that completely derailed my career. So I think the meanness comes in like that assumption that like, you know, this is stupid, right? Like we call this guy stupid Joe because he acts so mm -hmm. stupid all the time. And then I'm over here like, well, I didn't think I acted stupid. <laughs> I, mm -hmm. I thought also, I made a mistake once. It's like in the idea of like, you know, Oh, I don't know why this person chose this role. Like they like they're not very good and they did it. It's like, well, they chose it because they wanted money and they wanted a little bit of like cushion for the next project that they weren't gonna book for a year because people don't realize that actors don't book every day. Like it's not like I'm just going from one set to the next every single day. I maybe book something every six months. Yeah, and you <laughs> don't I'm get lucky. to choose. You you audition <laughs> right. for roles you don't even want because you have to to eventually get the role you That's want. You're mm -hmm. showing up for the for work, right? Mm -hmm. When and you get also, paid finally, you're getting paid for all these auditions you went on. Yeah. Yeah. And it also made me think of like, you know, in this weird way of like with the whole UCB element where at the beginning, I, I laughed at a moment because they said, I, I just can't believe all these people are so into this. All 300 people. And I was like, okay, 300 <laughs> people. And then I realized like, for that, I mean, literally for that theater that they were using, it only seats like 50 people. I mean, it doesn't seat like 300 people. But the fact that, like, I mean, even then, like, this was, what, 2009? So this was, what, four, four, 14, 13 years ago when this came out. So think of, like, 13 years ago when this movie was still being found less than 20 years after it originally came out, that there was still this, like, smaller cult market for it that's just since grown in the past decade. But what I find fascinating is that these 300 people are just, like, these are the 300 people who showed up for this screening of this movie because some people are like, I came from North Carolina, I came from uh, New York, I came from, and I was like, people are flying in to see this movie, which almost makes it more exciting because then the actors want to go. But we can also see, as we've talked multiple times, 
there are certain actors that will go to this these screenings, and there are certain actors who avoid it. They want to be mm-hmm. like taken off the movie. They never want to be seen in it. They want to be like, uh, what's that called? Where you like uh, dub over someone's face, uh, deep 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 fake. Deep-faked they want to like be deep yeah. faked and like not be in the movie anymore. And so it goes back to what you're saying about um, like how we all assume that like people think of it as like this fun, exciting experience. Like, of course people think it's that way because what, how else can you think of this movie when in reality it's ruined people's careers unintentionally. Um, and you know, it's like we have to empathize on that aspect of everyone has a different opinion. Like there are movies that people like are like, I don't know why you don't like this movie. It's so good. I'm like, I just didn't like, I just didn't like it. And I think that this is how, in a way, I keep going back to Troll 2 as a movie versus an experience. Mm. I think we can all, even the actors included, can say that the movie itself is bad. Like, it's not a good movie. I don't think anyone's denying that it's, a, that it's uh, maybe the director. But yes. um, no one's really denying that it's a bad Vehemently. movie. However, the experience itself that we think everyone is experiencing this in, in such like a positive loving way of making fun at it is what differs from person to person. So I think that that's like where we have to separate the movie from the experience where I would say objectively it's a bad movie. Subjectively the experience that everyone has when they watch this movie or the trauma that's behind them being in the movie is going to be what differs from person to person, from group to group, from screening to screening um, with the director being the outlier of it all. (laughs) Yes. Right, and the, the villain. Uh, I started this podcast, Shut Up, I Love It, sort of as my response to what used to be my favorite podcast for some time, How Did This Get Made, when I used yeah. to be obsessed with Jason Manzukas, a fellow Greek to you. Yes, uh, yes, indeed. Um, used to be obsessed with this man. But um, yeah, I, at some point, lost interest in that podcast because it, I felt like, there's a caveat that was not established that, that needed to be established with that podcast. The movies that um, How Did This Get Made works for very big budget, I feel like, movies. B- big budget. How did this get made? They got mm. this crazy big director. They got this, you know, Tom Hanks, whatever. Like, And then they fucked it up. Like, that's crazy to me. Like, it works in that respect. When you take something so low budget where, you know, like to make... Like like in this movie, Troll Two, they had to make somebody look like a tree. Of course, he doesn't look like a tree. You can see like the seams, and you know, even though it's decent uh, work. But I was gonna say, mad look- props to that practical effects, though, because like for the yeah. '90s budget, like those practical effects are actually pretty solid for. Like you're saying with the low budget that it experienced, it wasn't yeah, a two hundred million dollar Christopher Nolan movie. It's not the worst right, part of the movie, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, it's a micro budget movie. So to me, like, sort of look at it. How did this get made? Which, in some way, which is how the UCB culture, you know, uh, angled, uh, like, and put the, you know, sort of the spotlight and how did this get made mm-hmm. uh, on uh, this movie? It doesn't really work because, again, it's just people who have like not a lot of resources trying to make something cool, right? And failing at it, but still committing hard. Sure. Like mm. in a good karaoke song. Karaoke song. Um, a former uh, episode yeah, of Yeah, go check that out. Stop yeah, now. Yeah, go check Listen that out. Stop. To... And welcome back. Um, yeah, so to me, like that's, that's another reason where I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't see, I don't see the, the, laugh out loud meta like laugh at it slapping your like thighs like how fucking stupid this is um grabbing another Budweiser from the fridge kind of like you know response to this movie as it seems to have been based on all these like lines of people standing outside of UCB theater in the footage of the documentary and I will say like even on that like I think I mentioned this before but like it, it just bears repeating like the idea of like I have this movie on Blu-ray and DVD, right? The 20th anniversary Nilbog edition. Like, I've got Best Worst Movie. Uh, and, like, watching them on TV, on my, com- on, on my uh, computer, on, on my TV at home, I can put it in and I will not get through the movie. It's not, like, I, I just can't right. watch it. But when I'm like, hey, who wants to, like, have a Troll 2 party? Who wants to watch this? I have to show you this movie. And then I just watch people's reactions to this movie. That, for me, is what makes this so fun but again 
it's all going back to the fact that I, I'm, I'm not saying anything about how much I love the movie. It's all about how much I love the experience. And I think that that's, again, where that subjectivity lies, is that my experience is going to be different than the person who plays the characters in the movie to different extents. Because even then, like George Hardy, who's a dentist, no one's like, oh, you're a really bad actor. You shouldn't go into acting. They're like, oh, you're a dentist, is what they're thinking. Versus someone who's like, oh, you're a really bad actress. You should not do this. Like, that was not your calling. And so I think that those, even even if George is to not embrace this movie at all, he still has a dentistry, which is what he did for years, only did Troll 2 and then went back to dentistry anyway. So he has really nothing to lose in that aspect versus these other performers who that was their career choice and they have really, they had to change it. Um, some of them have found great success. Like I said, Michael Paul Stevenson in the documentary directing cinematography realm, but some of them are still searching for that breakthrough. And as we talked about, I think Sasha, you mentioned how this was a breakthrough for a lot of these actors in not the way that they anticipated having a breakthrough. Um, as it was like a breakthrough and a, a career ender. Um, mm. But I think, that again, it all is back to like the idea of like, I'm not just sitting at home going, you know, it'd be a great double feature today. I'm just feeling a real need to watch Troll 2 and Best Worst Movie. It's more of like, hey, I've got y'all. Okay. I've got some new eggnog liqueur. Let's watch this movie and like take a shot every time something dumb happens on screen, uh, which You'll will take about five to 10 minutes. Right. Exactly. Yeah. We're not going to make it much through the movie at that point. But or like anytime someone overacts a line when they see, oh, anytime a troll appears, let's drink water, because that never happens. So <laughs> it's it's this idea of, like, I never want to just watch that movie as a movie. I always want to watch mm-hmm. it as an experience, and I never want to watch it alone. That's another thing that they had mentioned in the documentary, is it's like, I one of my, uh, my friend showed it to me, and then I showed it to my friends, and I was like, hey, who wants to watch this? And it became like this whole, like gathering in this traditional troll 2 party that we now have and so i think what this documentary really does well is showing it showing this movie as an experience like what troll 2 as an experience is for people it doesn't linger on the fact i mean it does linger on the fact that it's a terrible movie because that's there's no denying that but i think what this documentary really sells well is how it affects different people in different ways for the experience of watching this movie um, from the exhibition to the cult status that it's gained 30 years later. So I think that's a really interesting vibe with this movie of like some of the, some of the, most of the actors, I would say actually almost all the actors admitting defeat for this movie. They're like, it's not what we wanted it to be mm-hmm. and we can't change that now. There's no going back and changing this. It's, it's there. It's there. Where you have, again, the director where it still feels like he's like, but I don't think people are quite getting the point. I think we have to like go back. And it's like, bruh, this movie's been out for 30 years. <laughs> no, we're not changing our minds at this point. In fact, it's gotten more and more solidified into that bad, so bad it's good cult status movie. It's never that you can't now go back and take it back and say, hey, let's reevaluate this and see if it's good. And so I think that the actors are, for the most part, they're, they're I wouldn't say they're necessarily embracing what the movie has become, they're accepting what the movie has become. Uh, whether or not they forgive themselves or forgive whatever, whoever, for doing whatever they were doing, Looking they're accepting. Look at Claudio. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, literally. Let's uh, moment of silence for everyone else in that uh, cast and crew. Um, but what I, I've learned is that the the acceptance of the movie for what it is is like a step in in like recovering from that for those who feel like it was detrimental to their career, having that moment of like, I can't, I literally, like, I have to accept it for what it is. Like, this is what it is. Now, I do think there's a difference between laughing at the movie and laughing at the performances, because I think that there's, like, the movie itself, like, I mean, sure. They're gonna hit them, they're gonna eat me. Nilbog is goblin spelled bad. I mean, like, so bad. Like, yeah. like there are, there are things that are so laughably bad. But I think that, like, because the performers were trying so hard, that I think there is that element of, like, I I can't really laugh at the performers. I mean, I can, and it's unfortunate because I don't want to. But I think it's a lot easier for me to laugh at the overall 
wackiness of what is happening that it just none of it makes sense well yeah because it's not it's not one performer right and it's all of them it's it's everybody so there's something going on like this doesn't happen in a vacuum Mm. these performances don't it's just like something happened here yeah and even then it's like going off of that like i'm looking at like you know oscar nominated movies golden globe winning movies emmy awards uh you can have a you can have like a mediocre movie with a really standout performance, and you can have a really great movie that has like really great performances across the board. Except you can sometimes tell when there's like one performance where you're like, this person's not an actor, and they are here as a name in this project. I can name a couple, but I won't do that here because of we that, don't want to ruin word. any careers. Here, yeah, you know? uh, I mean, there. I mean, we're not talking about ruining. We're not talking about ruining their. John Gimberling will never forgive. <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say, one of the in their careers, they're Grammy-winning artists and Oscar-winning artists, so like they're fine. Um, but, but it is like the idea of like you can you can easily tell when there's like a standout performance in a mediocre movie, or vice versa, a very terrible performance in a slew of really great performances. And this doesn't land in either care either category. There's they're just everyone's just bad. And so again, it all stems through. It can't be that everyone just showed up and was just bad. I mean, maybe yeah. it could be. It is, but, I guess it is possible, but... But I don't think that's the it. case. Um, one of mine, Atlantic Rim. It's a great, great one for... Sequel to Pacific Rim? Uh, offshoot, actually. <laughs> it's a, it's the uh, Asylum oh, okay, uh, great. answer to Pacific Rim. I would heavily suggest watching it, but... Um, Which, again, those movies, we know that a lot of times Asylum movies are made for the zaniness the wackiness the the like bad like so bad it's good kind of situation so those performers and this is a weird thing is those performers we we forgive for like the bad performances because we know we're going into something that is going to be right it's a brand. At that caliber yeah right, it, it's that it's, brand. it became a brand at the very least i don't think so it's when, really started as that but it became it right so when in that realm can we then forgive the performers in troll 2 for maybe just doing this over-the-top performance in a movie that no one, other than, like, maybe people in, like, 1990 were like, I can't wait to see Troll 2. Like, if you hear about it decades later, you already know it's going to be a bad movie. You're not like, oh, I've heard this movie's so good, I'm going to check it out and see what I think. Like, you're going in knowing it's going to be a terrible movie. So why then do we have these expectations of, like, oh, these performers are so bad, like, you're so bad, like, never act again. It's like... We know it's going to be bad. <laughs> and yet right. we still don't have the courtesy of like forgiving or to embrace the fact that it's going to be bad performances and going, wow, they really embraced how bad this was going to be. Or like, I know going in, these are going to be bad performances, not necessarily bad actors. Although I would argue there's a, there's a range um, sure. <laughs> just based on that movie itself. Um, there's a range of performers who didn't get a chance to show what they can do. And then, of course, the actors who are not really actors and kind of did a movie uh, to have that little bit of 15 minutes. I was in a movie, Troll 2. I think you know exactly who I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> looking at you, George. <laughs> George um, Gwynn. No. Yeah. Shall we move on to the ratings? I think we got to rate, rate this movie. Yeah. No, we Nobody did. rates it like we do. And let me explain. How does how. it work? I will do that. I'll explain it. Please. Don't make me. I'm going me. to. We're going to rate this movie on a scale of zero to ten, using something else as the basis for our scale. That something else could be another documentary that you think is a ten out of ten, and this isn't as good, so it's zero out of ten. Or it could even be chocolate chip, green chlorophyll green frosted cookies, is a five, and this is a ten. And if that doesn't make sense, guess what? Sasha and I will go first to help explain it. I'll go first. Whoa. I'm going to get wild today. Get a little unexpectedly crazy. And rate it against a movie that universally loved and I didn't like it. Didn't care for it. Walked out. Didn't watch it. Jeez. Well, if you ever <laughs> listen to Shut Up, I Love It, Jay and I are known for walking out on oh, plenty yeah. of movies. Um, but this is like the one, the cross I bear for the rest of my life. Proudly, proudly bear it. I'm going to rate Best Worst Movie against Inside Out by Pixar. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. You do hate that one. 
Inside Out to me, I never finished watching it, so what do I know? But what I saw, I'm gonna give it a three out of ten. Um, again, love Pixar, love uh, animation. Didn't do it for me. So many issues with it. Uh, three out of ten. I'm gonna give Best Worst Movie a solid seven. Um, there was something a little bit. Again, I, maybe it's the presence of this celebratory, <laughs> like UCB kind of, <laughs> uh, you know, attitude about how bad movies should be um, treated that didn't resonate with me on this rewatch. Because I saw this movie a while ago and I thought it was like the funniest, best movie I've ever seen. There's something that didn't age well for me here. I really can't put my finger on it, so I'm going to blame it UCB for it. You know, like... Like maybe I wanted more, maybe this is just the place I'm in, but I wanted more of this like human condition and like how people's dreams have realized or haven't realized. I wanted more of that, a less of the celebratory factor, which I know we have both in this documentary, but like to me, the ratio just like was not there. So I'll give it a solid seven out of 10. Joe, what about you? Um, You know, I'm going to... Uh rated against being in a bad improv scene in honor of UCB. Cause for those who have done long form improv, especially if you're like, let's say doing a mono scene, which is when you do just one scene that doesn't end for 25, Stuck. 30 minutes. Like a famous chef, Borsch, yes, the, a, the team that we used to be on the mono scene for, team. for many years, Sasha and yeah. I and two other great performers were on and yeah, there's just this like feeling once you're in it and you know you're in it, it's really an out of body experience where you're watching yourself and oh. you know there's no escape and it's like it's like having keys in your hand and you're trying to open a door but your hands are shaking and you're like, Why can't I just fucking open? put the keys in the door why is my body not reacting is that common experience for you with the doors you okay yeah you my, like i don't know what's happening but <laughs> uh, i can't seem to enter any rooms that require keys but there is something visceral to that though like you very much feel alive at the same time it's not a pleasant mm. experience but it is very much an alive experience um so i will rate it i maybe it's just nostalgia but i'm gonna rate that at a seven out of ten because I think it's just a powerful feeling. I don't think it's a good feeling, but it's certainly powerful. To be in the mono scene that's not going well? Yeah, and you know, just oh be in a bad God. scene. No, it's Seven not. out of ten. And you and you know there's people watching you. It's one of the most know. painful experiences in life. But that pain compared to like oh next to childbirth. It is it's more painful than childbirth, I'd say, but you know. You would know. I would know. Um but there is something so human about it you can't deny it. And I think this documentary as well, it's super painful. Um, I can see where you're going, where you're coming from, Sasha, about like the mix of celebration with its uh, tragedy as well. I don't know if it's, if it feels like as intentional as like a double-sided coin as, as it feels like it should be. It almost feels like a little bit of a rough documentary, um, not, not composed super intelligently. Um, and not to say it's it's all messy. I think there is a certain flow that they're achieving, but I just don't think it quite nails it. But that being said, I mean, I could probably spend more years thinking about this movie, especially if I was an actor. But I think even like pursuing writing and things of that nature, there are there are crossover feelings. So I think it's an incredibly powerful documentary about the entertainment industry. So, I mean, best worst movie is a 10 out of 10. Woo! Spencer, so what about you? 17 points. We got a quinceanera at the very least. So <laughs> are, you, are we going to get drinking age? thing that you started. Yeah. Let's well, see. There's quinceanera, um, there's drinking age, <laughs> and then uh, I, uh, there's retirement. <laughs> we'll see if we get to retirement age on this one. Um <laughs> Who knows what my score is going to be? Um, that being said, I'm doing a range. Um, if uh, a soggy McDonald's hash brown is a zero um, because it's not fresh at all, and Super Size Me, my absolute favorite documentary of all time, 
is okay. a million out of ten. Which, by the way, side note, if you ever want to do an episode on that, I'm in. I I've seen Super Size Me like forty times. I don't know why I love it so much. It, I can't that explain it. Makes me want to eat it. McDonald's. So it I makes can't. me want to eat it more. Yeah, and I I, I love it. it so much. Um, <laughs> that best worst movie. I think when we did our ratings for Troll 2, I base it on an experience rather than a movie. And I feel like Best Worst Movie can also be kind of grouped into the same idea of an experience versus a movie. And I think um, as a movie itself, I would I would place it about a 7 or 8, but like the experience overall, like if you include the movie and the experience, hard 10 out of 10. Wow, not quite retirement age, but still some... For some, if you're working like a radioactive... Uh, tech uh, tech industry. Yeah. Oh, Crypto. <laughs> yeah, they're doing well. Like five um, of them are. Um, good, okay, so best worst movie, high ranks. Uh, we're so happy to have you on to talk about this along with Troll 2. I feel like they're kindred spirits. They are. Gotta watch them both, gotta discuss them both. It also is, yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. I was going to say, it also depends on if you watch Troll 2 or Best Worst Movie first. I would highly recommend Troll 2 and then Best Worst Movie. But I did the other way. But it is interesting to see how you see this movie and then go into the experience versus the experience into the movie. Yeah, I think both are valid. Yeah, I think both are valid. And I I benefit usually from tell me about it, then I'm going to enjoy the thing. Sure. I I am that annoying person at the art museums that reads the thing about it first, and then I take time to see the the, the painting. Yeah, sure. I would I might lean more heavily on documentary than the movie, it's, especially if you know nothing about it. I think if you do know a bit of the backstory going into Troll Two, like you know it's a cult hit that people go see it, and like it's like the room and that that reverence and all of that, then you could watch the movie. But if you just don't know anything about it, then do not watch Troll 2 first. Watch the documentary. <laughs> you just stumble upon Troll 2. Yeah. What's Maybe this? don't just watch it. <laughs> yeah. Some person who just sees it on like Amazon Prime, like, I guess I'll watch this, and doesn't even think to watch Troll oh. first. I mean, that is, that is part of the lasting legacy of this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Spencer, what's going on with you these days? Oh, Anything to plug. so much. Um, everything that I have going on, you can actually find on my website, uh, www.spencerfrankaberger.com. Uh, again, that's how I pronounce it. It might not actually be uh, correct because uh, my uh, parents say it differently depending on who you me talk too. to. <laughs> well, it's the same thing with my last name. So I thought you were talking about Spencer's last name, and I'm like, why are your my parents <laughs> talking about Spencer? They say we love the, that episode. <laughs> Already <laughs> in the future. Uh, what about you, Joe? Well, uh, December 20th, 1984. Now, let me actually get the right date. Uh, December, uh, no, not December, January 20th, 2023. <laughs> this is already going poorly. December 20th, 2023. Lost everybody. <laughs> uh, bottoms Up, the complete yes! series will be coming out. That is my uh, graphic novel, Woo! 150 pages of pure pussy pleasure. Uh, that's not what it is, but it is about a killer bottle of booze. How did this podcast booze. become explicit at the very end? Yeah, I know. Well, we waited. Actually, usually somebody. Me, I was like, that might have been a selling point, you. honestly. No, I usually <laughs> I usually say young, dumb, and full of cum pretty early yeah. on. Yeah, it's been a while episode. since you said that. So. I mean, it is called Bottoms Up, so. Yeah, you you don't want to know. There is some stuff <laughs> in there. But yeah, it's about a killer bottle of booze. It's a graphic novel in the style of uh, 80s schlock horror. Um, So go check it out. The full thing will be out on Amazon and Etsy January 20th. January 20th, not 20th, but I don't know what January. Just in January, I think 21st, shortly after, I start teaching a class that may have... Maybe sold out when you listen to wow. this episode because it's almost sold so out might, now at scriptanatomy.com. So bottoms up, you know, who knows? That's true. <laughs> and But then, you know, there's another uh, class that I'll be teaching, uh, I think starting in March, uh, I believe, that's similar to that class. So maybe it's on scriptanatomy.com when you're looking for the previous class. Look, go on scriptanatomy.com, look, at, look for my name, and you'll see what I'm up to on their calendar. Uh, thank you, Elizabeth Salud. For your artwork, Mr. Owl, thank you for your amazing. Well, you know, I've messed it up. Elizabeth, thank you for the art. 
and Mr. Owl, thank you for the music. What are two awesome people. God bless you both, and uh, thank you for listening. Stay young, dumb, and full of shut up, I love it. Oh.